Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Road. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Welcome back to another episode. Uh, A shorter ladies. episode. Yeah, yeah, probably. Ladies, gents, and um, as we will again say later, friends beyond the binary. Absolutely. Um, we hope you're doing well in these crazy times. Crazy. And I would like to go back to precedented times. Mm-hmm. Yes. Those were fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I was perfectly happy with being completely bored. Yeah. Same. I would like to do that again. Yeah. yeah. So that being said, um, we stand with Ukraine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fuck um, Putin. Yeah. So that's been a mess. And we hope if we have any listeners over that way, because we have listeners a little bit of everywhere. Mm-hmm. We hope you're staying safe and doing what you can to protect yourself, protect your family, but also, um, you know, fight in, in, in safe ways. Right. Don't die. Yeah. Um, Please don't die. And, and as Lori mentioned before we got started, you know, um, there are Russian folks who live all over the world who do not stand with Russia and and what's going on. So be kind to them. Right. Don't Mm -hmm. be an asshole. Yeah. um, It's kind of like, it reminds me of, I mean, and this stuff has happened all throughout history, but kind of like when um, Asian Americans were getting beat up and. Right. Over COVID. COVID hat. Like, yeah. As if they had something to do with it. Well, the Russians. People who are from Russia originally who are living here in the States, they have nothing to do with what's going on. So I don't want to see any kind of violence uh, happening toward them. So Right. Behave yourselves. Be kind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, you had an Elmwood update for us. Yes. Yeah. So I think I mentioned in the last episode that there was an ice storm in Memphis and it caused a lot of damage at Elmwood Cemetery. Um. Elmwood has like 1400 trees. <laughs> like oh, they're, in, they're in Arboretum, a bird sanctuary, all this. And um, when you have an ice storm that comes through and it does that kind of damage, I mean, it's a big deal. And it, I finally got to drive through like a week ago. And then I went out there yesterday to clean some stones. And yeah, it's, it's just a mess. There are pretty good sized branches and, and chunks of trees down, but then a lot of it is a lot of little stuff that's just going to take forever to clean up. Like it's a lot of littler limbs, branches and stuff and, and leaves and uh, God, magnolias are so pretty, but they make a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time I drove by a magnolia, I'm like, did you have to? Did you have to? <laughs> um, which I know it wasn't the tree's fault, but either way, they have a fundraiser going on now uh, to help pay for the cleanup because cleanup is very expensive. And if you can donate at all, it would be lovely. Um, I know I've already donated and lots of other people have too, especially people who have loved ones buried there. If you have even just a little bit to contribute, that would be lovely. We have links on our social media, but also if you go to elmwoodcemetery.org and click on donate, it will take you right to the page where you can donate. Um, so yeah, please do that because it's a really lovely cemetery. Um, I, I don't think really that many monuments were hurt. Thank goodness. Yeah, but it's more of a tree thing. Um, and, and trees are very important to that cemetery. So, um, yeah. And that area of the country, like, is just not equipped for ice storms. It's just not. Yeah. We get ice storms more than we get, you know, blizzards or snow or anything. Mm -hmm. We really, ice is really the main problem and it just coats these trees and brings them down. And it's the city, I I will say the city of Memphis as a whole, the more I've driven around the city, it, it's astounding. I drove past, I was in a neighborhood yesterday and saw like an entire tree down still in someone's yard. And it's like, geez, mm-hmm. Louise, it's amazing. It didn't hit a house, but either way. Um, so yeah, if you can contribute to Elmwood, um, in their fundraiser, that would be lovely. Also, if you want to join me for my true crime tours, I have two of those coming up, three of those, sorry. Um, on the 19th, I have a walking tour. And then on the 26th, this is all in March of 2022 because who knows you may be listening in you know 2030 i was gonna say 3022 but okay (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and then I have um, a indoor sit down presentation of the same tour, more or less, um, on the 26th. And then that afternoon, I have a walking tour. I'm going to try to, if you've been to my tours before, I'm going to try to include a couple of different things, not a whole lot, because I just don't have a lot of time to do a lot of the research. I tried to do some yesterday because I'll just go ahead and spoiler alert. There was this one um, serial slash spree killer in memphis and in, in 69 and Ooh. i was like oh i'm sure any of his five victims or six i can't remember how many there are mm. are buried in elmwood no none of them <laughs> wow <laughs> i was very mad i was like <laughs> oh i'm gonna go i know layla's out here no she was not there were several that i was like i think she's out nope no not at all made me very sad um either way um i still have some other stuff i'm gonna try to maybe sneak in or some stuff that i wouldn't normally tell but um i'm still those are still a work in progress so yes i have two walking tours one the 19th one the 26th and then an indoor seated no no walking um presentation on the 26th so come join me yay 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 <laughs> um Okay, that's it for news. Oh, wait, Hannah, you had a true crime update. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the lady's last name. Sherry Papini or something like that. Who cares? She's a piece of crap. Sorry, I'm angry at her. Blonde bitch from a while ago. Um, so she got arrested this week after having claimed wait, whenever that was. It's been a minute. 2016. Yeah. Good God. 2016. Everything was 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 fucking 2016. Like, we knew she was lying in 2016. Okay, anyway. Go ahead, Hannah. She had disappeared in heavy air quotes and then was found in her underpants on the side of the road saying she got uh, kidnapped by two Hispanic women. Because, you know, those, uh, I don't know if they were armed with La Chancla or what, but, you know, they, you know, Mexican women be kidnapping people, especially yeah, white sure. ladies. Yeah, sure. Um, Who so wants she, a white lady anyway? <laughs> says three white ladies. Um, we don't need any more Karens in our lives, okay? Exactly. But, um, but as everyone knew from as soon as the story came out and everyone was like no bitch um (laughs) i don't know what happened you know in the legal system not a lawyer um but she has gotten arrested for her shenanigans and i'm excited to see how this goes out yes um because blonde women tend to evade responsibility so i'm i'm and i it kept being like the gone girl case the gone i was like can we not i know not yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm watching that very closely and going to see kind of what happens with that because God, that was such a shit show. Mm-hmm. For yeah, real. It was. That was a good, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All, right. Well, all right. Then we are going to get started this week. We are trying to go a little more lighthearted after last week's doozy of an episode animals who mourn. Um, you know, this is probably going to be a little shorter. So, you know, you had a really long one last week, this week, you know, we're going to taper it down a little bit and I'm going to kick things off with elephants. Y'all ready for this? Yes. I'm ready. Although (laughs) not at all either, because at first when we picked this topic, I'm like, I cannot handle sad animals, but yes, my story ends up being really cute. So yeah, (laughs) we'll see. And I think, uh, in our, initial thoughts were like oh there's gonna be so many animals we can talk about but it turns out it's really about the people that those animals mourn yeah like what those people did for that animal to make them sad or whatever right. so yeah. let's get to it so we know that elephants are smart social animals with the capacity to mourn um so it's i i feel like it was just a few years ago but it was probably like 10 to 15 years ago um a memphis zoo elephant had her first calf and unfortunately at, at some point in the first couple of days accidentally killed it and they had the elephants just cut off because they were all mourning and assisting that young female mourning the loss of her baby she didn't realize what she had done uh they often visit the remains of deceased relatives and have even been known to perform simple burials after a member of their herd has passed 
Um, in fact, a Nova article published in 2015, which will, I will link in the show notes, um, the author recounted an incident in which sport hunters shot a large bull elephant. The elephant's companions immediately surrounded his body and the hunters decided, yeah, let's just come back later and get our trophy. Time to go. Yeah. When they did, they found that the elephants had covered the body with soil and leaves and had even put mud over the large bullet wound in his head. Mm. In my personal opinion, if you have ever wondered if animals have souls, all you have to do is look into the eye or eyes, if you're able to, of an elephant and you have the answer. There is a soul in there. There is a thinking being that's just not doing what nature intended. It's, it's, there's a being in there. Yeah. And so now to the person at the center of my story this week, Lawrence Anthony, who I wrote this whole script thinking his name was Anthony Lawrence. And then I realized (laughs) that I had interchanged them. So um, I will be calling him Lawrence. But when I wrote this, I thought that was his last name. So (laughs) he would become known as the elephant whisperer for his work with these animals. But he began his life as an insurance agent and then a real estate developer in South Africa. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Yeah. He followed into his father's footsteps and became an insurance agent and then quit doing that to become a real estate broker uh, and I think made Buku's money with that because uh, when he decided to quit because conservation had always been a passion of his growing up in the wilds of South Africa in the mid-90s he left the real estate business and purchased a 5,000 acre or purchased the 5,000 acre Tula Tula Game Reserve in KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. Which is in the heart of Zululand, which I never realized was an actual place. And I think that's the coolest (laughs) name for a a place in Africa. Zululand. I love it. Sounds cool. Yeah. So in 1999, he was given the opportunity to rescue a a group of nine elephants that were deemed dangerous. They had been causing destruction, were considered um, just a risk to the community. And they were going to be shot if someone didn't step in and rescue them. So he agreed to take them. And this was a big step for him because it was the first big thing he did in conservation. But also these elephants were known to escape enclosures and just be very hard to handle. And so the fact that he agreed to take this on with very limited experience in conservation was was a pretty big deal. Um, in fact, he said, quote, they were a difficult bunch, delinquents, everyone. But I could see, but I could see a lot of good in them too. They love that for them. Yes. (laughs) They'd had a tough time and were all scared. And yet they were looking after one another, trying to protect one another, end quote. So he saw that it wasn't that they were dangerous, wild animals. They were scared of humans. And how do animals react when they're scared? You have your fight or flight response and Mm -hmm. elephants kind of, you know, waver on either side of that. Um. So he decided he was going to treat these animals as if they were children, and he spent as much time with them as possible, teaching them that it was okay and they could trust him using his soft, um, comforting voice. And he focused the majority of his energy on the gaining the trust of Nana, the matriarch of the herd. He said, quote, I'd go down to the fence and I'd plead with Nana not to break it down. I knew she didn't understand English, but I hoped she'd understand by the tone of my voice and my body language what I was saying. And one morning, instead of trying to break the fence down, she just stood there. Then she put her trunk through the fence toward me. I knew she wanted to touch me. That was a turning point. End quote. So through his efforts, he was eventually able to release the herd into the sanctuary And the elephants remained very close with him. I mean, they had 5,000 acres to roam, but they apparently became so attached to Lawrence and his wife that the couple practically had to chase them out of their house. Um, (laughs) That's an interesting problem to have. Right. Yeah. And then when Nana gave birth to a bull calf, she brought the baby out of the jungle or woods or whatever to show him off to Lawrence. She was very proud of that baby. And he repaid the sentiment when he had his son a few years later. Oh, shut up. I'm going to cry. He took the baby out so that Nana could meet it. It was so cool. Yes. So rescuing that herd was just the start of several rescue efforts he led. 
When the United States invaded Baghdad in 2003, he remembered that there was the largest zoo in the Middle East was in Baghdad. um, And nobody was doing anything about the animals at the city zoo. So within days, he was on the ground at the Kuwait-Iraq border, but the American soldiers guarding that border would not let him through. Eventually, he came to a crossing that was being managed by Kuwaiti soldiers, and they let him through. And two zoo wakers from Kuwait joined him in his truck full of supplies, and they headed to Baghdad. There were a lot of animals that got kind of, there was that one really sad picture of that tiger Mm-hmm. that was just basically left to die. And I was like, somebody oh, yeah. go get that baby. Yeah. And like people actually like looters stole some of the animals. He was able to get one giraffe back, but people had killed and eaten the other giraffe because they were so, so starved. I mean, and Saddam Hussein's personal collection of wild animals right. had gone missing. Um, and when they arrived at the zoo, it was just rubble. Many of the animals had escaped. A lot of the apes and monkeys had escaped. The birds were loose, flying everywhere. The surviving animals were starving, traumatized, and left with no food or water. Lawrence and the volunteers had to carry stagnant water from a canal to the animals. And he purchased donkeys off the street to feed the carnivores. And he, like, when they would buy the donkeys, the owners that they were hitched up to a cart and the owners would be like, you can't just buy the donkey. You have to buy the cart too. And so they wound up leaving all of these carts all over Baghdad because they didn't need the cart. They needed the donkey. Right. Um, So he remained at the zoo for six months. And when he left, it was in much better shape and the animals were healthy. Cages were clean. So that was a very huge undertaking that he did. And in an active war zone. Exactly. Well, he, for his efforts, he was awarded the Earth Day Medal from the United Nations. And he was also decorated with the U.S. Army 3rd Infantry Division's Regimental Medal. Yeah. So he was recognized for that. But that, you know, this this man's balls of steel. That, no that, shit. That was only the beginning because in 2006, he negotiated with the leaders of the Lord's Resistance Army in Uganda. Oh, geez. To join a conservation project to attempt to save the northern white rhino, which was on the verge of becoming extinct. The LRA had seized control of the Garamba National Park in the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the last four members of the northern white rhino species alive lived. So Lawrence was the, he actually crashed a meeting, um, but they liked him enough that they allowed him to be the first outsider into the LRA's Congo base to discuss his plans. And that is, that's a gamble. That's a gamble. Like this could go real bad. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, It led to the LRA signing a ceasefire with the Ugandan government. Shit. However, that did not last long. And it is, it was believed that the Northern white rhino had gone extinct. And for all intents and purposes, they have. There are currently only two Northern white rhinos left alive in the world. Two females that are under constant protection in Kenya. And the male, the last male died in 2018. So that's, I mean, unless they clone them, that's it. There's not going to be another. They're gone. Yeah. Yeah. Pure Northern white rhino. Um, Lawrence co-wrote several books about his conversation, uh, con- conversation efforts, <laughs> Derek. <laughs> conservation <laughs> efforts. Babylon's Ark was published in 2017 and detailed the rescue efforts at the Baghdad Zoo. In The Elephant Whisperer, he recounted his efforts at taming the herd of wild elephants. His final book was The Last Rhinos, which detailed his efforts to save the white rhinos in the Congo. It was published in 2013 to positive reviews. Publishers Weekly said, quote, riddled with heartfelt anecdotes, Anthony's brave crusade to save these mammals, even at great risk to his own safety, reads like a safari adventure, a history lesson, and a warning that our careless ways will bring an end to so many magnificent species, end quote. Mm. Lawrence Anthony did not live to see the reviews of his book. Oh, suffered a heart attack and died at the age of 61 on March 2nd, 2012. Oh, yeah, man. so not almost ten, more than 10 years ago. Yeah. 
um, almost 10 years to the day. I think yeah. this is, um, well, we're, the, almost, we're on the well, fifth. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so some of the, uh, like if you go to his find a grave, it says he died on March 7th, which would be the day this is being released, but his family has said, you know, w- when you right. look at posts on the preserves website, they always remember him on the second. So I think that's just find right. a grave is notoriously right it's like well and depending Mm -hmm. on the country like the paperwork might have been filed on the seventh right right but he actually passed away on like the second or third right so so news of his death was announced by the lawrence anthony earth organization a conservation group that he founded in 2020 i was about to say 2013 but no (laughs) 2003 What is time backwards today? Yes. The foundation's goal is to seek to reverse the decline of the plant and animal kingdoms through education and action. Strangely, two herds of more than 30 elephants made a 12 hour trek across the vast preserve within days of his death. They stood a two day vigil at his house. They didn't eat anything. They didn't drink anything. They just kind of stood around the house Mm. and according to his son dylan quote they had not visited the house for a year and a half Mm. the first herd arrived on sunday and the second herd a day later which uh i looked up march 2nd was a friday so it's you know and elephants don't move very fast and i think it was uh several they were several miles away right um Lawrence was cremated and his ashes were scattered at the preserve he called home. Aww. His wife, Francois, continues to run the, the reserve and lodge and in 2018 published her first book, An Elephant in My Kitchen, that details <laughs> her efforts to keep the reserve and lodge going after her husband's death. Mm. Um, now, back to the, the morning of the elephants. Um, there's some articles and I think I initially saw this on TikTok. Um, which is what gave me the idea that we should do this topic, um, say that they come back every year. I cannot find a legitimate source that says the elephants come back every year. So I, you know, they might, they might not, they might, they might not, but I do think it is interesting that somehow those elephants knew that the man that saved them and allowed them to live free on this, you know, 5,000 acre preserve had died, uh, had died. And, you know, they do stand watch over their dead and they do mourn. And that was their way of paying their respects to him and thanking him for what he had done. Um, now, if any of our listeners are interested in learning more or even supporting his legacy, you can make a donation to the Lawrence Anthony earth organization at earthorganization.org they're still they're raising a lot of money for conservation efforts all across africa um, and they're doing the good work and if you ever decide that you you know have the money to go on safari in south africa you you know try the tula tula reserve it looks the lodge looks beautiful um you know they have a very active social media they have lots of uh, animals um out there so yeah it's it looks like a pretty cool place yeah, you know, I if, would love the, to do that. If the world ever goes back to normal and it's safe to travel again. I know um, I would <laughs> love to do that. Also, if you big game hunt exotic animals, I hate you and you alone. Unsubscribe now. Exactly. Yeah, basically. Yes. That's I evil. do not approve. No. Not Even Satan is like, bitch, mm-hmm. no. Yeah. I mean, and the way they do big game hunting. It's, it's just so it's ridiculous. It's such a cheap gross. shot, you know. Exactly. Let's, let's capture it and put it somewhere, or you know, make sure that it's drugged before we take, you know, the rich white doctor out to hunt, um, so yeah. he can feel like a man because he's impotent and even Viagra doesn't help, and his kids and wife <laughs> hate him. Yep. Well, they and do now. <laughs> life is soulless and devoid of yeah. anything good. Yeah, I said Basically. what I said. <laughs> it's it, it's funny because you know. Um, you know, hunting's a thing and I understand. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of hunting because if, if we did not have people who hunted deer, they would be everywhere. Like deer are essentially an invasive species at this point. It's population control. Right. There's nothing. Now I'm not a fan of you posting a picture of your dead. Oh my God. It's, you know, that's, that's, 
that I know that's your prerogative and a lot of people like that. It's, it's not my thing, but oh, it's, it's really so funny. Gross. My dad is not a hunter has never been. And he has his personal issue is with like, and he's kind of met, he doesn't really talk about it much anymore, but he used to always say he could not understand people who would duck hunt because what did that little duck ever do to you? It's Aww. a duck. It sits in your pond. It, you know, he just, yeah. he, could, he never could wrap his head around duck hunting. They taste really good though. I'm sure they do, <laughs> but he's like, that duck doesn't do anything. Of course, he probably feels differently now because I had, I got five ducks um, during, I guess, quarantine for the, yeah. for the babies. Now and he's like, fuck them. And now he's, <laughs> he has to take care of them and they let him know when he hasn't fed them yet. And they're the, they're the white. <laughs> Pekin ducks and they oh. quack at him and they <laughs> drive him crazy. And so Aww. like he has to get up early in the morning and go down and make sure the ducks are fed before he starts his day. Um, but yeah, anyway, so that, that is the elephant story. You know, I, I would like to check out his book because I'm sure there's more detail about his work with the elephants. I yeah. just didn't come across it in time to, to read it. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. All right, Hannah, take us back to our childhood. Uh, yes. <laughs> get out your slap bracelets. It's getting real 90s up in this bitch. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of, if you were a kid in the 90s, Coco the gorilla was an absolute legend. I first learned about Coco and her cat, All Ball, in the weekly reader, a now defunct weekly we would go over in our classrooms. It does not exist anymore, and that makes me very sad. I loved Weekly Reader Day. It was awesome. Anyhow, I bought the book about Coco and All Ball at a book fair, though baby Hannah was enraged over the fact that the cat had no tail. <laughs> I don't know why that pissed me off, but it did. Coco would have more cats in her life, and she always went for tailless, probably because she was a gorilla and had no tail. Yeah. I know I'm pronouncing gorilla funny. It's a joke i think it's funny Leave me yeah for those of you unfamiliar with coco the icon she was a gorilla who was born in captivity and was able to communicate using a form of sign language and had the vocabulary of about a preschooler so about a three-year-old which is pretty good yeah, yeah for sure coco began the research with dr francine penny um as she's also known peterson at the gorilla foundation in 1972 this is in california And though her actual linguistic skills are hotly debated, we will not be entertaining Coco slander on this podcast. Absolutely not. (laughs) We are going to take them at their word. In 1983, Coco asked for a pet. The researchers tried to give her stuffies, but Coco would not be satisfied until she had a pet of her own. Respect, Coco. Yeah. She was presented with a litter of kittens and she selected a tailless ginger she would call All Ball because he was quite round. Coco treated All Ball like a baby gorilla, even trying to nurse him. This gave the researchers hope that she would be a good mother later on. Tragically, All Ball escaped her cage and was hit by a car. Coco responded, bad, sad, bad, and frown, cry, frown, sad trouble. She would also be heard weeping later that night. Coco would raise more kittens during her lifetime, all Manx cats. So Manx cats are the ones with no tail. Mm -hmm. That enraged me as a child. (laughs) With Coco was another talking gorilla, Michael. Michael was born in the wild and rescued after watching his mother be murdered by poachers. So awful. Yes. He would describe this event to researchers in as graphic a detail as he could manage. And I have how he described it. Squash meat gorilla, mouth tooth, cry sharp noise loud, bad think trouble, look face, cut neck, lip hole. Oh, wow. It's how a three-year-old would describe yeah yeah i could see that watching somebody be murdered it was an incredible trauma and the fact that it still affected him throughout his life makes it clear these are not just wild animals with no feelings he felt the loss of his mother coco felt the loss of her beloved pet coco and michael were intended to be mates when he was moved into the gorilla foundation in 1976 but they would stay close friends instead he got (laughs) friend zoned pretty hard (laughs) 
Michael enjoyed painting and was quite serious about it. Coco was less serious about it. She just was there to have fun with the paints, but Michael was very serious about the painting. <laughs> I respect that. Yes. He would die in 2000 at the age of 27 of a heart condition. Oh, my Coco, I know. Coco and their other companion, Nadume, would mourn his death for months afterwards, with Nadume sitting on the spot where Michael had died. Oh. In 2001, beloved comedian, actor, and all-around great human, Robin Williams, visited Coco. The meeting was absolutely magic, and we are going to post a video of it on our socials because you watch it and you're just sobbing, mm-hmm. just like I love bawling. Your, I know he's just a treasure. Yeah. For the first time since Michael's passing, Coco actually smiled. Oh. The pair hit it off immediately, with Coco feeling comfortable enough with Robin to take off his glasses and try them on, <laughs> and then steal his wallet. <laughs> That's my girl. Yeah. yeah. They hugged and tickled each other, and Robin would describe this meeting as a transformative experience in his life. I cannot imagine. I cannot how imagine magical yeah. that was. Yeah. Tragically, Robin Williams would complete suicide in 2014. Upon hearing the news, Coco came became despondent, with her head bowed and her lip quivering. Coco herself would pass away peacefully in 2008 at the age of 46 and is buried at the Gorilla Foundation's preserve close to her companion, Michael. Once, when a researcher asked where gorillas go when they die, Coco responded, comfortable, whole, bye. When asked how gorillas feel when they die, she simply responded, sleep. And she died in 2018 or 2008? 2018. Okay. I think you said 2008. Oh, 2018. I got confused on the Robin Williams timeline. When you said yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he passed in 2014 and then yeah, but she, she passed died away four years later. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I know. Coco. But how An fucking icon. deep is that? Like gorillas understand death. Mm-hmm. They oh, yeah. understand, you know, for so long we as, thought you know only humans understand that we're going to die and that's what makes us you know cucumbers with anxiety Mm -hmm. but they understand it too and Mm. they understand and I think that's such of like how do they feel when they die and she just says sleep and it's like oh and what what were her words again about when you pass was it comfort and whole comfortable whole bye and Michael yeah. the gorilla, when he talked about death, he would say whole as well, which yeah. is really interesting to me because think about how humans describe near-death experiences, yep. a white light and a tunnel. How would a gorilla describe that with a limited vocabulary? That's a whole. Well, and I was thinking too, one of my favorite, to completely be a, a lame geek here, mm-hmm. but um. When I, I love season six of Buffy, okay, y'all just come for me. I know that's wrong. I don't care. It's my favorite. But when Buffy comes, is brought back from the dead, um, and she talks about what heaven was like because they thought they were pulling her out of hell, but they actually pulled her out of heaven. God she damn it. Said, this isn't yeah, supernatural. No. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> um, just with less family stuff. Well, no, not really. No. <laughs> yeah. There's more families. Either way. She describes it as being finished. And I like that idea of, right. If there is an afterlife, I hope that you feel whole as in, you know, complete and finished and you are done and there's nothing left for you to, you know what I mean? So I just wonder, you know, like they might've meant whole, like tunnel. Yeah. They meant like tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. The word that he used for whole was, uh, for like, you know, like a hole in something. Yeah. I just, but I also like the idea though of, I hope that they do feel that completeness of I'm whole, I'm done. I'm going to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what a nice way to see it. Just comfortable. And then I go by, you know? Yeah. It's really lovely. It yeah. was. So the gremlin actually had something wholesome. So, uh, yes, <laughs> but it's so sad. I mean, it is to think about how Robin Williams' death impacted her. And then yes. she and felt she, those feelings. all of us. Yeah. Well, she and felt she, it too. 
she mm-hmm. felt it too. She remembered him 13 years later. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the thing yeah. with like, and that's why, I mean, the ape exhibit at zoos always like, I'm deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm like, you look at these animals and I'm like, that's just a few chromosomes away. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. not that far off from us. And yeah. you watch them, you know, and you're just like, you look like a freshman in high school. <laughs> like, yeah. This is this is 14 year old boy behavior. I am seeing, yeah. uh, you know, so have you um, have either of you seen the TikTok or the maybe it was on Facebook, a post about the uh, zookeeper. Yes. Who brought her baby. She was the key. So she was the gorilla keeper and she was on maternity leave and had her baby. And she brought the baby to show the gorillas. And it was so sweet. Oh my God. They were like, like they knew what that was. They were Mm -hmm. like, Oh, that's her baby, you know? And it's, I mean, and that's like the, um, the killer whale mama who lost her calf mm-hmm. and she yeah. like basically swam around with its corpse for a couple of weeks. Right. Um, and then just, you know, killer whales in general who are highly sensitive, very socialized animals that mm-hmm. we plop into swimming pools for our own amusement and then wonder why they kill people. It's the first word of their name. So I, know, I don't right? know why anyone's shocked. But it's like, you know, we as humans are so arrogant to think we're the only ones that have these emotional connections, not Mm -hmm. just to each other, but to other things. I'm like, we keep animals in our houses (laughs) and consider them part of our family. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good job, Hannah. Yes. So wholesome and sweet. Coco forever. Coco forever. Okay, so a lot of my story is going to be about the human, right? Um, because I mostly found um, information on the human. But um, when this animal shows up, boy, she makes a statement every time. So today I'm discussing the king of aviators and his beloved kitty cat with the most excellent name, Mademoiselle Fifi. Oh my <laughs> god, that is so cute. I love, I love it. it. Um, and if you think that name is precious, just wait till you see pictures. Oh ah! my God. I can't wait. Okay. Yes. Picture it. New Orleans, 1911. Of course. At the funeral of aviator John Moisant, uh, his beloved kitty, Mademoiselle Fifi, was in attendance because the pair went everywhere together. So, of course, she had to be at his funeral. Um, but they were not together one very important time. We will get to that later. And Mademoiselle Fifi, was dressed in full morning attire and was carried in a little basket for the funeral. So who was John Moisant and who was this well-dressed flying feline, Mademoiselle Fifi? Well, let's go back to Chicagoland. It all comes back to Chicago. Doesn't it though? This is like my only story in a while that has not included anything to do with Memphis, but I like that we end up in New Orleans. Um, but also Los Angeles. Anyway, we go a little bit of everywhere in this story. Hey, he's an aviator. Exactly. And I hope I'm saying his last name right. I couldn't really find any videos on this guy for him to be the king of aviators. But whatever. none of us speak French. Well, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll get to <laughs> that. But um, I saw a couple of different, like I heard it a couple of different ways. But anyway, John Moisant was born on April 25th, 1868 in a small community in Illinois, about 75 miles south of Chicago. Is that still part of Chicagoland? I don't know. I kind of don't care. No, it's um, not. It's central Illinois. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> it's close <laughs> enough. And if you, and depending on what um, source you use, some people say he was born in Chicago. Some people okay. say just outside. Some people say, you know, they, they named the town and the town is so small even today that I'm not even going to try it because it's a French name. Uh, his, Sounds about right. His parents were French Canadian immigrants. He had six siblings. Jesus. Um, one of them was Matilde, who would go on to become the second American woman to receive her pilot's license. Um, so flying is in their genes. But after their father died in 1887, they moved to California And then from there, John and his brothers moved to El Salvador in 1896 and brought sugarcane plantations. Oh, I was Um, especially like, why the fuck did they go to uh, sugarcane? Gotcha. Sugarcane, yeah. And they also, there's this little bit, and I never, 
every, literally every story was like they also tried to start a revolution while they were there but that's that another story white. for another time it yep. does sound about white <laughs> and um um but they're like but well that's another story for another time so i don't really know what happened there either way the sugar cane shockingly brought them plenty of money and they became very successful very wealthy and of course when you become very wealthy you have wealthy friends and you have wealthy hobbies I rich people hobbies are astounding. They are. I mean, even today, you know, you get a little bit of money and people are like, I'm going to go flying. Well, like, and to kind of talk to my, uh, not talk about my job, but we work with like clubs and associations and shit like that. And there's a ton of Corvette clubs and we were talking about one and they're like, Oh yeah, this guy has like 20 Corvettes. I'm like, I'm sorry. What? (laughs) Yeah. I own one car and it is a Toyota Corolla. Same. Uh, Get fucked. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, so, uh, John went to France in August, 1909, as you do. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he went to an air show there and he just, fell in love with flying so aviation becomes his hobby and keep in mind flying aviation all this is super super new um the Wright brothers were his peers they were born you know within a couple of years of him and then they built their first aircraft in 1903 and this is the aircraft at this time is just like an engine and some balsa wood (laughs) pretty much yeah looking at pictures of the planes that he flew it's terrifying and i get upset when it's like a little regional jet I'm oh like, yeah this is a oh, fucking yeah. crop duster well yeah so <laughs> uh so he designed and built two aircraft between august 1909 and into 1910 um before he even became a licensed pilot because <laughs> as you do <laughs> as you do the first aircraft the moisant biplane was an experimental aircraft built entirely from aluminum and steel so okay. it was the first all-metal aircraft in the world um in 19 february 1910 he and the airplane went on their maiden voyage together so it was his first time flying it was the plane's first time flying what could go wrong <laughs> well they crashed after ascending 90 feet imagine um, uh with limited air time. So, yeah. <laughs> and the second plane was built out of uh partially out of the wreckage of that first plane. Um, and it had difficulty staying upright on the ground, so it was never flown. <laughs> <laughs> Love wow. that for them. Meanwhile, he took flying lessons at a school in France where he did earn his license and he was able to transfer that pilot's license to an American um basically an american pilot's license and he became the 13th registered pilot in the united states Damn. literally Ooh. the 13th like Ooh. yeah that's a little bit of a spoiler alert for about what's to come but also i, I, just... I think i would be like you know what let me wait and let, <laughs> yeah, let's let do this the guy again. behind me yeah <laughs> yeah, first, yeah let's let's wait a couple months and then i'll I'm come not- back as I'm not Michael even superstitious, says, but... I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he really took to flying. I mean, like I said, his sister um, was the second female pilot in the States. So um, they just became super famous. And, you know, he, he's a good looking kid. Um, the media followed him around. He gave great interviews. I got some cr- uh, quotes from him later. But so they also, go ahead. I like him better than Lindbergh because I'm not seeing any eugenics come up. Yet. Yeah. So uh, he didn't have time to get into oh. that game. Well, there's <laughs> that. We're not long for this world here. Oh, okay. um, yeah, it's kind of I'm going to start up his petition to have him replace Lindbergh. I'm cool for that. Um, a lot of the media talked about how small he was. He was just five, three. <laughs> um he's a short king he's a short king there's nothing wrong with that but he had a big heart and, and pilots even, have to be little they're like jockeys they have to I be know. little <laughs> to fit and, into those planes man. even even an article from nola.com which you know is recent <laughs> they didn't have nola.com 100 right no years ago. Not. they called him short balding eloquent and utterly brave which Aww. i thought was really cool and you know he had to have been short if they were making note of it in that time period, because yeah. they were still little folk back yeah. then. 
so his third flight <laughs> happened in August 9th, 1910. He and his mechanic flew over Paris, making it the world's first flash and passenger flight over a city. A Ooh. lot of um, like even the Wright brothers were like, don't fly over a city. Don't do not fly over me. Fall on the fucking Eiffel yeah, Tower. <laughs> basically. And um, because he did that big flight over the city of Paris, and this is really, I think, the first couple of times that um, some especially this is more of a case in america than i think it was in france but this is uh, people are seeing airplanes for the first time so it's like you kind know of a big they're deal. freaking the fuck out yeah and so some school children who saw this i'm guessing in paris gave him a kitten after he made that first Aww. flight over the city um this is mademoiselle fifi but i have also seen the cat's name listed as perry like how you say Paris, you know, Aww. but he spelled it P-A-R-E-E -E, or Paris, London, um, which we'll get to that flight in a second. But um, it's mostly in, in most history stuff that I found, I found Mademoiselle Fifi. But I'm like, you know what? My cat has 30 different names. So yeah, like, exactly. McDuff, I like that they acknowledge that she was unmarried, Mademoiselle. I know. Yes. Very. Cause she was, she's oh, very I much just a kitten. looked up a picture. She's the cutest fucking thing she's ever. She's so <laughs> tiny. She's so tiny. Um, yeah, she's a tiny little baby kitten. And I mean, think about, it. I was thinking about it today. I was like, okay, so she had all these names, Paris, Paris, London, Mademoiselle Fifi. I'm like, what do I call McDuff? McDuff is his technical name, McDuff, the marketing cat, but I also call him Bubby, Silly Goose, Pooh Bear, Goosey Poo, Goose Bear, and Goose Poo. And, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm like, of course, this cat has multiple names anyway. Well, that's like my niece couldn't say Gwen for the longest time. So she called her Goo Goo. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of Gwen's nicknames is Goo Goo. I love having like 5,000 names for my cat. Exactly. Just, it's just when I see him, sometimes I don't think McDuff. Sometimes I'm like Bubby or. Right. Or Butt Butt. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, on August 17th, 1910, uh, John flew the first flight with a passenger across the English Channel, um, again with his mechanic and with his beloved tabby, Mademoiselle Fifi. Aww. So this uh, flight also marks the first time that a cat flew across the English <laughs> Channel. Hell yeah. This was literally, by the way, just his sixth time flying a plane. Damn. <laughs> like i'm kind of like can you can you clock some more hours sir this is making me nervous um anyway uh he entered a lot of flying competitions back in the u.s because flying was new and so of course what are we going to do in the u.s we're going to make competitions out of it and make you Duh. win money so he had one race where he had to fly around the statue of liberty he won it but he was disqualified because he started late and um but fifi was on that flight good for um, fifi's why he was late yeah probably, <laughs> probably. so <laughs> um fifi as a cat did, owner yeah he was yeah it was late it just amazes me i'm like mcduff doesn't like it when i pick him up and if i walk with him oh it's over it's in the world and i'm like this cat is just being toted everywhere and going on airplane flights i'm like fifi's kind of rad Mm -hmm. um, but she made the news several times. Reporters wrote about John and his flights, and they talked about how he was flying with his cat. And I love this. I wanted to include this because I'm like, this is such, this is hilarious. We still, we're still, like, you can tell this was a slow news day, and we still <laughs> run these kind of stories today because <laughs> yeah. the newspaper was talking about how John was starting a trend of flying with your kitty cat. And it also asked the important questions. I swear to God, these are verbatim from this newspaper. <laughs> Why does a cat look so domestic when it's purring on the hearth and so terrifying when its yellow eyes peer at you through the gloom of a dimly lighted room? Why are cats so mysterious? Why does it love petting but remains without affection for those who care for it? What is the <laughs> secret that lies behind those sphinx-like eyes of green or topaz? And we still ask ourselves these questions today. I'm like, I'm like these are just TikTok um topics honestly anyway uh with his brother alfred john formed the moisant international aviators a flying circus oh, that yes. went barnstorming across the u.s canada and cuba so you know that's going to end well oh, this is taking a <laughs> my lot thoughts of exactly <laughs> <laughs> um John wanted to continue manufacturing aluminum airplanes into 1911 um 
And he was really working on that. But some of his uh, members of his team thought he was becoming pretty reckless up in the air. And his business manager uh, told him he needs to be more careful. And John says, I don't expect to die in an airplane flight. Oops. (laughs) Foreshadowing. And here is that shadowing. So John's flying career ended about as soon as it began. On New Year's Eve, 1910, in New Orleans, he entered a contest to win the 1910 Michelin Cup Prize, a $4,000 award for the pilot who flew the longest distance. So you're literally doing this on New Year's Eve. So you're literally entering at the last minute and he's doing it too. So no one else can come behind him and beat him. Okay. Uh, His plane was equipped with an extra large gas tank. And because it was so cold, he stuffed newspapers into his flying suit for insulation. (laughs) Okay. Um, If there were safety belts, I doubt there were, if they were, he did not wear them. (laughs) And he was making a test flight when disaster struck. Uh, while attempting to land, he was caught in a gust of wind and thrown from the plane in front of a crowd of spectators. He Oof. fell about 25 feet to the ground where he landed on his head. Oh! Uh, naturally broke his neck. He did yeah. not die right away. Oh, no. He was taken into the city, but later pronounced dead. Yeah. Uh, John Moisant was 42 and the accident happened less than 18 months after his flying career began. And Mademoiselle Fifi went everywhere with him after he got her, but she was not on that flight. Oh, thank God. That's good. Um, This is a wire story from January 3rd, 1911 um, that talks specifically about Mademoiselle Fifi. Anyway, one of the most pathetic incidents to the death of um, John B. Moissant, which greatly affected his grief-stricken sisters and brother, was the waiting of Moissant's pet kitten for his return. The little animal, which was a tortoiseshell cat, had been given to him by the school children of Paris as a mascot after his cross-city flight there was the dead aviator's most treasured, most cherished possession. Each evening when he returned home from his meets, his first act was to pet the kitten and feed it. The kitten, mm-hmm. when Moissant failed to return, ran about the rooms as if looking for someone and mewed continually. The sisters, in tears, tried to comfort the kitten, but it refused to be satisfied and continued to search until taken from the room. Aww. The kitten nestled under Moissant's sweater when he made the famous flight around the Statue of Liberty in New York, and it will be cared for by the sisters. And as I said at the beginning, uh, the cat did attend the funeral and was dressed in a beautiful little morning dress. And she's sitting in a little basket that has black ribbons around it. And I have pictures because it's the most adorable thing I've ever seen. Um, Okay, when I go, whatever cats I have at the time must be dressed in morning gowns and brought to my Literally, (laughs) I was Googling animals that mourn their humans, and this was one of the first pictures that popped up, and I'm like, whatever this is, I'm telling this story. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I did want to talk a little bit about Moisan. I know this is about animals, but I just thought this guy ended up being kind of cool. Um, So because aviation was so new at this time, a lot of his ideas were really revolutionary. Um, he was the first to advocate for monoplanes, which one has one set of fixed wings. And then his touring show was among the first in aviation and was um, one of the first to introduce air- Americans to airplanes. Because, again, you you never looked up and saw an airplane back in those right. days. But yeah. this was like the first time people were seeing that. And um, a, a man by the name of, oh, I don't know, Clyde Cessna was in the audience for one of those and that inspired yeah that inspired him um you know to go on and create Cessnas (laughs) never knew that guy's first name was Clyde that's that's a name that's it's a name it's my granddaddy's name (laughs) I love it oh it's so redneck anyway um he also believed John also believed in the potential use of aircraft in war Um, Oh, dear. His quote is, people talk of shooting at flying machines from the ground and warning off an attack in that way. We can travel 70 miles an hour, more than that soon, and can go up to 5,000 feet or more. Can they hit us under those conditions? Not 70 miles an hour. (laughs) I love it. I'm like, this is so new. And they're just having fun with it. But it's, ooh, it can kill you. Yes, very easily. (laughs) Yeah. um, He also predicted that future generations 
generations of Americans, quote, will use airplanes as we use automobiles. And I'm like, yeah, they well, you had that right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so where Moissant or John, I don't want to call him Moissant. It's weird. Um, where John met his end was later transformed into land for cattle. Oh. And the owners named uh, that land the Moissant Stark Yards in honor of the aviator. Um, they later sold that land to the New or- to the city of New Orleans, who turned it into an airfield called Moissant's Field. Um, and that's where the city's first commercial air service began. In 2001, it became the St. Uh, Louis, Lord, <laughs> the Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport. But when you fly into or out of New Orleans, you'll see the MSY identifier. Yep. And that's what it is. It, it stands for Moissant Stockyards. I've always wondered that. Yep. Yeah, because I fly into New Orleans because it's so much cheaper than flying into Mississippi. I always yep. wonder why I was in uh, MSY. Yep, that's why. Now I know. For this guy, yeah. Uh, so he is buried at Valhalla Memorial Park in Valhalla. I know. I love that. <laughs> I love that. In Los Angeles. Um, there is a beautiful mausoleum there called the Portal of the Folded Wings. Oh. And it's a shrine to aviation. It's a 75 foot tall structure of marble, mosaic, and sculpted figures. And it's the burial site for 15 pioneers of aviation. Um, his sister, Matilda, who was also the first, there's the second, I'm sorry, female pilot, uh, she's also buried there. Um, and there's all these other people who did things for like the Wright brothers and just all the people who basically pioneered aviation. There's other folks there too. Um, awesome. Moissant's plaque reads designed and built the first all metal, all metal airplane, 1909 first to fly English channel with passenger 1910. Um, there's also a plaque there for Amelia Earhart and oh. markers and a um, shuttle for the challenger and columbia shuttle accidents Mm. which i thought was cool that is nice um i cannot find any more info on mademoiselle fifi after his passing i'm sure she passed unless she is a magical 130 (laughs) year old kitty we don't know we would like to think she was but um i know that's probably not true so i don't know where she's buried but i like to end on a quote uh, in a flying manual published in 1917, John is quoted as saying, nine-tenths confidence and one-tenth common sense equals a successful aviator. <laughs> um, but also, by the way, when you Google Mademoiselle Fifi, you will probably find a 1944 film yes. called Mademoiselle Fifi. I feel it like is, that's a stag film. It is. No, it is not about the cat or anything I feel like sexual. it's about... Oh, I was about to say. No, it's about the (laughs) Prussian army. When the Prussian army occupied a part of France in 1870. So what the fuck? Yeah, I I don't know why. I'm going to let it go. I don't know why they chose to use the name Mademoiselle Fifi for that movie, but whatever. I wish it was about the cat instead, but it's not. Um, But Mademoiselle Fifi, wherever she is, I hope she is resting in peace and that she is, um, has been reunited with her human on the other side yeah i love it but yeah i just fell in love with that kitty cat i love it it's so cute i don't know if it will let me send a picture through chat i don't know why it wouldn't it did (gasps) yes (gasps) i'm sending you the the picture i saw it's a picture of her in her morning dress oh sweet kitty baby and then i'm sending another one of her with Moisson, who looks kind of hot. Yeah. He, he kind of looked like a, a good looking dude. <gasps> oh my goodness. And they put a bunting on the basket. Stop. <laughs> Precious, fashionable kitty cat, right? Oh my God. And she looks like McDuff. That was another reason why I fell in yeah. love with hers because she's a tabby like McDuff. Yeah, but then yeah, you oh. see pictures of him. Oh, of he her. was good looking. He was good looking, and and he she's up there on his shoulders, like oh. chilling. You can tell yeah. she's a kitten. She's a oh baby. yeah, that's a little one. Yeah, she's a baby, but she OMG. must have she must have enjoyed being up there with him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Cats but, don't um, do anything they don't enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> that's the truth. That's why I'm like McDuff would never go for this. He would exactly. just be like, "Are you kidding me right now?" 
Gwen would be like, please go fuck yourself. And yeah. I mean that in the nicest way possible. Yes. Gwen would not mean that in the nicest way possible. No, let's be real. She'd be like, with all I love due disrespect, Gwen. go fuck yourself. I know um, my girl. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we hope you enjoyed these animals. What's up next week or next we episode? We are celebrating um Trans Day of Visibility. So we are going to talk about our um, trans friends, our gender non-conforming friends, our friends beyond the binary, like Scooter from Sleep With Me Sis. So, um, and then there's another TikToker I really like who who says, um, oh, "What is his lady men and gentle days? Oh, yeah, <laughs> girls' gays and days, exactly." Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, so we want to celebrate some historic trans folks and and celebrate the trans folks that are in our lives anyway absolutely um but yeah so that's the um topic for the next episode thank you for tuning in Lori. where can they find us you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can send us an email to cemetery row pod cat cemetery row pod at gmail.com i almost (laughs) almost was like yeah let's just say the whole thing no cemetery row pod at gmail.com yeah, and um, please tell your friends about us and leave us a review, please. Yes, a nice if one. You, please. If you love us, um, we would really appreciate that. Yeah, yes. we're trying to do this thing. And yeah, and yeah. always, if you have an idea for a story, uh, for a really cool grave, for an episode, pass those along. We love yes. them. Yes, eventually yes, we're going to run out of ideas and we could definitely use the help. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you, everyone. Y'all have a good Monday. (laughs) Bye. Bye.